following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Well, welcome this morning. It's a little loud. I, got, I hear some feedback, but loud is good, right? Power. Power of the Lord. Well, this morning I am fully um, uh, relying on the Lord. It's a very uh, sobering message today, but I'm still full of joy because there's so much here that that we can learn from and that we can glean from. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to there. And the context of this is uh, where Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And he has now been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him like a dove. And a voice from heaven has just come uh, from God the Father that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Never before in the history of humanity has this ever happened where God's voice has spoken from heaven saying this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It's an amazing start to a ministry. There's been some amazing calls to ministry in the Bible, but nothing like this. Nothing has ever been so dramatic as this, right in front of everyone. And now we approach uh, where Jesus is going to go now, having been uh, uh, clothed with power by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to begin to uh, lead him. John the Baptist has, 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 has baptized Jesus and and. And in my mind, if I hadn't read the story before, I would think perhaps this is where the Messiah is going to step forward and he is going to assume the throne of David. He's going to be led by the Spirit to Jerusalem, to the temple. But we're going to find out where the Holy Spirit actually leads him. And I think you you know if you're looking at the passage, but before we get into it, let's open in a word of prayer and commit this time to, to God. Lord, we... We thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you so much for uh, your word and and the wisdom that is there. We thank you so much for the power that it is uh, to us unto salvation. Lord, I I submit this time to you. Every word, may it be what your will is. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch each and every one of us, that that we would walk uh, in obedience to you and that we would walk in the truth, Lord, that we would uh, follow after what your spirit is, is leading us to do and that we would stand Uh, before uh, temptation, uh, unwavering in your truth, Lord. We pray that you would give us that strength by your spirit to stand even before the evil one, the devil himself, Lord, that we would uh, see through the traps of the enemy and that we would walk in victory. And Lord, we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to begin by reading the passage and then we're going to go through this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, 
and I give it to whomever I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him up to Jerusalem and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we see here the devil approaches Jesus in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, and he gives, there's three temptations that are listed here. There may have been many more, but there are three temptations. And what I want to do is go through each one of these temptations and look at what it is and look at how Jesus responded to each one of those temptations and, and, and glean from how we are tempted. Because we're tempted by the, by the evil one as well, aren't we? How are we to respond? So as we approach the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 4, we see that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He's led into the wilderness. It's not something that he's going to for fun or to get away from the crowds or simply for prayer. He's specifically led by God, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness. And Matthew chapter 1 puts it this way. He's led to the wilderness to be tempted. To be tempted. The purpose of his leading into the wilderness is for temptation. And I can't help but think about the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Perhaps that's where this comes from because Jesus knows what it's like to be led by God right into temptation. But it's for a purpose, but he's being led into temptation with the intention of being tempted by the devil. The devil's intentional temptation, being tested and tried. And when we look at the word tempt, it, it really has the idea of testing, being tried, maybe put on trial. You can use it in that context. You can also think of it as uh, uh, tr uh, trying a metal, putting it under the flame, seeing how pure it is, seeing what kind of dross comes to the, f the surface. And it says that him being tempted was something that was a continual thing. He was being tempted. It wasn't as if the devil waited until the end of the 40 days to tempt him. The three that we're going to cover do happen at the end because it says those days being ended. But he's tempting them this whole time. Forty days not eating anything. Forty days of being tempted by Satan, Lucifer himself, in the wilderness. Just being in the wilderness and fasting is temptation enough, isn't it? Temptation to, to fear, temptation to doubt God, temptation to, to, to just complain about being hungry or whatever. But this is a special type of temptation. And, and, you know, one of the things that frustrates me sometimes with the way Christians speak of the devil is that they speak of the devil as a defeated foe in a flippant way. He is a defeated foe. But the devil, you have to understand that he is a thousands-year-old fallen angel with great power. And Jesus is being subjected to this. His power outranks any human any human being, the willpower, the intelligence, 
the spiritual fortitude. The, the, the devil outranks any human being, and Jesus has become a human being. He's subject to the same weaknesses we are. In order to act as a substitutionary sacrifice, he had to actually become a human being who is susceptible to temptation. Otherwise, he couldn't actually be a substitutionary sacrifice. He wouldn't have been totally human. He wouldn't have been totally a man. He, can, he can't substitute for something that he isn't. He's become a man now, so he is vulnerable in some ways to the devil's attack and temptation. Now, God can't sin because it's outside his character to do so, but he can be tempted at this point. The devil begins with an obvious temptation. He attacks Jesus in his circumstance of hunger. He is attacking the, the natural bodily ache for food. Jesus, being a man, is subject to these feelings of hunger and lack. And the very survival instincts of a human being can come out during hunger. I I haven't, I fast, I try to fast as often as I can. I've never done a really long fast, but I've fasted beyond three days one time in my life, and I noticed that there there was a survival instinct that came out in me, there was a panic. My body felt as if it was dying. Jesus is now at the end of 40 days, and it says after 40 days, he was hungry. And I've read that at that point, many times when somebody goes on a long-term fast, their, their hunger goes away. But then it returns. And when it returns, it is a hunger like you cannot describe unless you're in that circumstance. It is a hunger beyond typical, well, it's lunchtime. I guess it's time to eat, right? Where you just get hungry and just like, I want to snack a little bit and you're hungry. I realized when I fasted for merely four days that I had never really been hungry a day in my life until that moment. Four days. This is 40. This is on another level. This is temptation that we've never seen as, as mere humans because temptation goes away when you fall into it, right? You don't feel the real weight of temptation until you've re- resisted and you've resisted and it gets heavier and heavier. We've never felt the full Brunt of temptation because we always give in. Or not always, but we've, we, we tend to give in. Jesus never gave in. Not even once. The devil approaches him with this temptation to turn a stone into a loaf of bread. Well, what's the temptation here? The temptation, what's the sin in that, right? He's appealing to carnal desires of the body, but eating bread isn't a sin in and of itself, Right? The devil is presenting an option to Jesus to satisfy a natural, God-given desire to eat food. But it wasn't God's will, was it? Jesus knew that that was outside God's will for that time to pander to the devil, to break his fast, to eat something during a time of preparation and, and, and consecration, and to do so at the devil's beckoning. He knew that that was wrong. So what does he do? What does Christ rely on in the moment to to, to fend off the devil's temptation? What would you do in that situation? Would you use willpower to handle the temptation? Would you try to outsmart the devil? Well, I don't really like bread anyway or, you know, whatever. Something that you dream up. Have you ever done that? You're just like, I want to get away from this temptation. So I'm going to just think of something else. But what does Jesus do? Because he's our ultimate uh, he's, he's our ultimate example, isn't he? 
Jesus turns to the word of God. And he quotes from a passage that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 3. I'll read it. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, to feed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers knew, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Wow. That is rich. I mean, Jesus, or God, was testing the children of Israel for 40 years. Jesus has been there for 40 days. There's a connection there. That, 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 num- that number 40 in the Bible often symbolizes transformation or consecration. As, as the children of Israel were transforming from, from being a slave group of people to a, to a real nation. 40 years of transformation. 40 years of Moses in the wilderness. 40 days of Elijah being set apart when he went on his fast to Mount Sinai. And Jesus now is going 40 years or 40 days in the wilderness trans, transferring from being a, a, a humble carpenter into Someone who would have a tremendous ministry. His earthly ministry is being inaugurated by this time of consecration. And we see this, how he handled this. His mind goes to the scripture. And the scripture that specifically speaks to his own circumstance, a time of reliance on God. You can't, you can't eat in the wilderness. There's nothing there to eat. And the people, the people of God relied on manna from heaven, which was from the very mouth of God when he commanded that manna to appear. Nobody could even explain it. What is it? That's what the, that's what the word means. What is it? Manna. Jesus is saying to the devil, yes, I know I could die from hunger, but real life is found in the word of God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he turns from it. And what does the devil do? He comes up with another temptation in verse 5 through 6. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kings of the the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here again, there's a lot of temptations here at once. He could have said a lot of things. Like, you you can't take it with you. You know, I don't... I don't need riches. There's so many w- ways in which he could have he could have approached this, right? Riches are temporary. The Bible says that too. But what does he do? He goes right to the root of what this really is. This is idolatry. So many temptations here. The temptations that we face, the temptation to be rich, to have clothing, houses, cars, fame, success, recognition, education, Trips, adventures, parties, all of this stuff, if we love it more than God, comes under 
the definition of idolatry. Many of these things are good in and of themselves, right? Ruling the world. That's what's prophesied in Zechariah 14, right? The Messiah is to rule the world. It's a shortcut. Just, just worship me real quick. You don't have to mean it, right? You could rationalize this. You don't have to mean it. Maybe this is God's plan. A shortcut. I don't have to go to the cross. I, I, can, I, I, I can use it for good. Resources for my ministry. Think about all the nations that he saw. I'll be a shepherd to the nations. One problem. You have to worship the devil to get all that. We're told in Romans chapter 6, verse 18, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which, me, which leads to to righteousness. So who was Christ going to serve? Who is he going to serve if he's going to bow before Satan? What would that make him a servant of? It would make him a servant of sin and of the devil. And the wages of sin is death. The temptation is not of these things that are that are good in and of themselves, but it's going outside God's will and worshiping a false god. How does he combat this? What does he do? He quotes again from the Word of God. And he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. And it's kind of a mashup with Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Jesus pinpoints what it is. It's idolatry, and he goes right to the command of Scripture that forbids idolatry. How does quoting this passage help Jesus fend off the temptation? This passage reminds him that no matter how much Satan offers him, it is still a sin. It is still a sin to worship someone other than the true God. This is how Jesus approaches the temptation and addresses the devil. But the devil isn't done. The devil has one final temptation. Verse 9 through 12 says, And he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I think this temptation is, is kind of the highest and ultimate temptation. It's the temptation that I believe that the, the devil will go to for those of, uh, of us, those of you who are really walking with the Lord, those of you who are really on fire for the Lord, those of you who, who have learned to trust him and walk with him and, and feed on the word of God, where you know that he owns the cattle on the thousand hills. You don't need riches. You know that you've, you've learned the secret of contentment. That with all these things, I will be content. You've learned that God giveth and God taketh away. And you have your faith in the word of God and you can just quote it. And the devil, his attacks are just bouncing off. But, but there's one thing about the devil is that he can quote the Bible too, can he? Who do you think knows the Bible better? You 
or the devil. The devil's been around for at least 6,000 years, and he's been studying the Bible so that he can twist it. He knows it really well. He, he knows it forwards and backwards so that he can do just what he does to Christ here. Oh, you have faith in the Word of God. Good, so do I. Because I've read the Bible too, and you know, you're, you're a man of faith, right? Well, prove it. Prove it. You're the Son of God. You trust God. God loves you. Prove it. Since the Bible says that angels will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That sounds like a loving God to me. So show me. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. And let's see. And if he's on the pinnacle of the temple, and it's during the hour of prayer, how many people are going to be there to see it? What's the next step? Well, got to be the Messiah, right? Everybody. This could, be, this could be something for everybody to see. What's the temptation? The temptation is to prove God or test God. See, God tests you. You don't test God, right? There are a couple of times in the Bible where, where God commands you to test him, and when he commands you to test him, you better test him. But if he's not saying, test me, prove me, that's not your role. His role is to test you, and you are to be faithful to him. Testing God is doubting God. If you are the son of God. If? Sounds familiar, isn't it? Like, if you can help me. It's like, if I can. This if would follow Jesus throughout his entire ministry. The temptation would be that Christ would be doubting him and trying to prove himself to others about his identity. His identity in God. And what he's read in the word of God and what he just heard from heaven spoken by the Father. God the Father himself has said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The devil heard about, either heard it directly or he heard it from somebody. That there's a dude who was just baptized in the Jordan. And the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the devil, does he believe that? Does he want Christ to believe that? He calls his identity into question. But the promise is that no matter what comes against you, that angels will protect you if you're doing God's will, right? Psalm 91 but you see the sleight of hand of the devil is using this because the promise doesn't include pandering to cynics or mockers so that you can just jump off a cliff anytime that you want. That's not what the promise is. It's not, it's not about pandering to other people and proving to yourself and others in your doubt of whether or not God will protect you when you do something ludicrous. How does Christ deal with the temptation? He turns to the Holy Scripture again. And in Deuteronomy 6.16, it says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. Massa, Meribah, the situation was when they didn't have water, and they started complaining about water. Are you going to give us water? You brought us out here in the, into the, the wilderness? Are we going to die of thirst? They put God to the test. It's Exodus 17, verse 7. He's saying to the devil that he would not disobey the command of Scripture to demand of the Lord something out of a, out of a doubting heart. 
out of a, the same doubting heart that the children of Israel had in Massa. So there's the passage. And I want to go into what I believe are four, applica- four, four points of applications that, that will hopefully bring this a little bit closer to home. Because some of these temptations we can't necessarily relate to directly, right? It's not a big temptation for me to, when I see a stone, I'm like, that stone is really tempting me. I mean, I could command it to become bread and I'll resist that, right? That's that's not a temptation that I face. But that temptation is faced by us in other ways. Spiritually, it's the same temptations. The devil is very consistent. He brings to us the same types of temptations, So I've got four points. Number one, sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you directly into temptation. Have you ever been led by God to a new job or a new ministry? And what faces you in that new job or new ministry or new circumstance, new relationship, is a level of temptation that you didn't expect and is clearly not from God. But wait a minute, you were just led by God. And it's confusing. It's like, God can't be in this. Look at the opposition. Look at the temptation that I don't have power to resist. However, we know here from Scripture that this is exactly, in some ways, what happened to Christ. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. He didn't lead lead him to a health and wealth situation. He led him to testing. Don't think that just because you are led into a circumstance that tries you in ways that you have never been tried before, that it's somehow not God's will. God may give you a tremendous amount of money overnight, and you are tempted to greed and profligate living like you've never been given before. You may go the opposite direction. Some things may happen, and you may have no money. More bills than income by a lot. And you have, yeah, well, I took this new job. It was half the salary. I trusted God to make up the difference, and it doesn't seem that he is. That doesn't mean that you were doing the wrong thing, right? Circumstances don't determine <laughs> whether or not it's the, it's the will of God. It's God's will that de- determines what God's will is. These are opportunities, though, aren't they? These are opportunities for God to show who he is. This is for uh, opportunity for God to bring all those secret sins that have been in your heart all along to the surface so that he can skim them off the top and so that you can be free of those things. It's an opportunity. Number two, temptation is often a preparation for greater ministry. We see this in the life of Moses. Think of Joseph as a slave being tempted by Potiphar's wife continuously to commit adultery, 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 right? Think about Queen Esther and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All these people went through temptations that were so overwhelming we can barely even wrap our minds about around it, right? A temptation to kneel before a false statue or else you get thrown into a furnace. That's a pretty big temptation to worship a false god, isn't it? That's a pretty big temptation. You could rationalize, say, like, well, I won't really mean it. But if I don't, they're going to throw me right into the, into the flames of the fire. But they stood strong. And it prepared them. It prepared Moses in the wilderness as a shepherd with the temptation to, 
to doubt God's ability to actually use him. When he was 40 years old, he was ready, right, to be the, the deliverer of Israel. You know, strong 40-year-old in the prime of his years, having just received probably the best education and upbringing that the ancient world could offer. God wasn't going to use him in that state. He was going to use a humble shepherd. And it would take 40 years of preparation, trusting God in the wilderness to the point where when the burning bush finally appeared to him, he was like, I can't even speak. But that's who God wants to use, the humble servant who has been tested and tried. Joseph, tempted by the seductress, he learned that it was costly to be obedient because then she accused him wrongly and he ended up in in jail. He realized that God was in control and God was sovereign when he was elevated to a point where he was second in command of, of Egypt. Queen Esther, Daniel, all these people, they, they were faced with temptation that prepared them for the roles in which God had them. Is God testing you right now? Are you in the throes of temptation with your back up against the wall and you don't know if you have the strength to overcome? And like Jesus, you are in a wilderness experience and you're reaching for the word of God. It may be that it's time for you to be proven and tested for the ministry that God is calling you into. Maybe that God has a role for you beyond your wildest imagination and without that testing, you wouldn't be ready. Jesus had to have his, his identity rock solid. It had to be there. And when he passed these tests, what did he do? He went straight into his ministry. He was the wedding at Cana and choosing his disciples and all these things. Number three, turn to the word of God. There's so many things that you can turn to, right? You could turn to psychological tricks. You can turn to being distracted. You can turn to friends and family. You can turn to all these things, and some of those things may be good, but at the end of the day, it's the word of God that Jesus used. We have God in the flesh here who has become a human being, veiled his omniscience in frail humanity, veiled his omnipotence and frail humanity and the self-imposed limitations of his hunger and weakness, he uses the scripture. Why does he quote from these passages? He's quoting from the passages that he quotes from because they are the exact circumstance that he finds himself in. He finds himself in the wilderness, so he quotes from passages that have to do with being in the wilderness. It's an example for us because we find ourselves in situations, that's what we can do. We can go right to the Bible that speak right into our circumstances. For instance, are you homeless? So was Jesus. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. How did he handle it? What are the scriptures? Are you rejected by people in your own ministry? Look at Paul. He said, all of Asia has turned away from me. Jealous and Hymenaeus and all these others. How did Paul handle that? Jesus was betrayed, right? Are you tempted to sexual lust? Look at King David and the consequences of his fall. And look at Joseph and how he handled the seductress and how he overcame. Are you tempted to greed? So was Jesus right here in this passage. 
Are you tempted to buy comfort and just staying in your comfort zone? Again, Jesus could have comforted himself with bread. All these stories are here. All these passages are here for us to learn and meditate on and memorize and use. And the Holy Spirit has promised us to bring those things to our remembrance whatsoever he has taught us. Are you tempted to doubt? So was John the Baptist. So was Peter and doubting Thomas and the other disciples. The word of God has the answers for your temptation. Number four, the devil will attack your identity in Christ and he will use scripture to do it. It's really two points into one, but I I combined them into one because they're combined here. The devil will attack your identity in Christ and he will use scripture. He'll He'll use the word of God against you. The devil said, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, Jesus is God, veiled in the flesh. And he had to face this constantly, right? We are not sons of fornication. Jesus had heard that he was from a virgin birth. Okay, well, how does that sound? A virgin birth versus fornication. What sounds more... um, likely to you if you're in the crowd. But Jesus believes the word of God. He believed. He knew who he was. And the devil will come to you. Because if you don't have that, if the devil has your identity, then he has you. Are you prepared for crowds? Are you prepared for people to question your identity? Are you, are you prepared for the, the temptation of the enemy? The enemy will come to you and say, well, you're a child of God, right? Doesn't the scripture say that God will give you all things? Then then why do you have more bills than income? I mean, I'm just looking at the Bible here. I'm just trying to help you out. Are you really saved? Who are you in Christ? Does God really love you? Doesn't the scripture say whatsoever I ask, believing I will receive? Then why are you still sick? Why are your parents still sick? Doesn't the scripture say that God has given us all things richly to enjoy, then why are you resisting all these temptations that are really good in themselves? The devil will say these things. Why do you have to say no to the the temptation? Doesn't the Bible say, be ye perfect, for I am perfect? Last time I checked, you're not very perfect, are you? The devil will get you, try to get you to doubt your identity and who you really are. Will you remember who you really are? We need to have the word of God in our mind because every single one of these points are easily refuted if you know the word of God, right? Be ye perfect for I am perfect and you can say, well, salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. He also said, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And on and on, the scripture, rightly understood, rightly divided, is we'll we'll put the devil right back in his place. And if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. As the the worship team comes up, I want to finish with this. It isn't going to happen with a casual familiarity with the Bible. 
casual, right? Like when you're in that temptation, when, you're, when, when, you're, when, you're, when your mind is clouded by hunger and fatigue and a powerful demonic power comes against you, it's not going to be enough to just have a familiar understanding of the Bible. It's going to have to be something that you have deep down in your heart and something that is ha- going to have to be something that has, has really made you who you are, something that you could quote cold, something that you've memorized, something that you have, you have strained over and prayed over and understood at a level that represents your faith in the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God? Are you putting it to memory? Are you, list, are you, are you at church on a regular basis to hear the word of God preached? Are you reading the Bible on a daily basis and praying over it? Are you in community with others who love the word of God so that they can speak into you? It was such an encouragement this morning with the other brothers and sisters that we were in in our Get Ready Bible class Uh, discussion that we had. It was such confirmation. It was such encouragement. Because as you walk toward that pulpit, you're going to feel, right, the opposition of the enemy. You're going to feel it. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're going to feel it, right? If you're going to preach the word, if you're going to share in evangelism, in any any capacity of ministry, you're going to feel the opposition of the enemy. And when you and when you have that encouragement of brothers and sisters who who affirm, yes, this is what the Word of God is saying. God uses that, doesn't He, through His Spirit? The temptations that you face will teach you. It will teach you to trust God, and it will teach you to trust His Word, and it will prepare you. Not only will you will you Resist the temptation, but you'll grow in strength and be prepared for what he has for you to do. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.